0: And now, here's Heather and Jeff. Ah, welcome back to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here with Heather Shoemaker. Heather, I hear you had some delicious cake recently. What's going on?
1: Yeah, in fact, I still have a few crumbs left. This Mm. is the cake... From my new book launch, and what's the most satisfying thing about writing a book, I know I should say things like sharing the ideas with people and getting helping others and getting readers' feedback and all that, but really it's extremely satisfying to eat a a cake with your book cover on it <laughs> so you can feel like you're devouring all those years of hard work and effort in one sweet bite.
0: That sounds much better than a regular cake. <laughs>
1: It is, yeah, it's got, um, well, this particular one has a gorgeous image of sand dunes and the Great Lakes and forests and a blue, blue sky, because this book is, are you ready for it? It's not about parenting and children.
0: Well, yeah, this is a little bit of a departure for you, so let's spend some time talking about the new book and uh, and what's between the covers.
1: Yeah, well, I hope that it, um everyone who does have kids and is part of this podcast because of early childhood listening won't suddenly um, push the stop button and and stop listening because really children uh, it's all about being outdoors and being part of nature. So this book is about the environment, uh, which is something that I think we all need to be uh, connecting our kids with. so. So read on. This is a book that, um, this is actually my, more of my official background is in environmental studies. Did you know I went to school in environmental studies? Well, I'm
0: a and bit I... of a stalker, so I did know that.
1: You knew that? <laughs> you probably also knew that I was a milkmaid, but.
0: <laughs> I certainly did.
1: <laughs> so this gets me back to my roots in um, land conservation, which is what my um, my studies all specialized in. And some of you know I live up in the north of Michigan, and this book takes place up here in northern Michigan on the Great Lakes coast, and it chronicles a 40-year story. It's really an epic saga of a huge 6,000-acre piece of land right on the shoreline um, that was taken over by an energy corporation, and then and farmers lost their land to the energy corporation, and over time... I came into the story, and many, many other people, and helped save this land. And now it's this huge natural area full of hiking trails and gorgeous views, and so on. So it chronicles this story, um, and um, it's—I like to call it a either a David and Goliath adventure story or a a, a land conservation action adventure.
0: (laughs) Is there going to be a movie?
1: Well, who knows? That's up to my agent.
0: And then who's (laughs) going to play? uh, listeners, you know, we're listeners first. Because yeah. if, if 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 this does become a movie, I, I want to hear from people who should play Heather in the movie. Um, oh so, no. no! No, I hope we can get some comments on that. I'd love to hear some feedback about that. So uh, so tell us some some bits of this adventure story. What well we it's,
1: know? it It starts in 1969, which is the year I was born. So since this is supposed to be a memoir, at first it was a little tricky to know how to write about things that happened when you weren't even <laughs> born yet. <laughs> I had some interesting starts, <laughs> um but anyway, it does start because in six, nineteen sixty nine uh this you know you know they say that there's only two plots of a book in literature one is one plot is a stranger comes to town, and the other plot is that you go on a journey uh-huh So this is the stranger comes to town because a stranger came to this very rural area of Michigan and began knocking on farmhouse doors, and nobody knew who this mysterious stranger was. He had a lot of money behind him, but they didn't know who he was representing. Um, So I interviewed a lot of the farm families um, who, who opened the door when this stranger knocked and found out what it was like when he came by. He ended up buying out 6,000 acres of property from lots and lots of families who would farmed it for 100 years and he represented a a public utility they wanted to flood they they assembled all the land and then they wanted to flood it so all these homes and things would have been, the land would have been under a lot of water because their idea was to dump the water down a huge, huge towering sand dune and generate uh, electrical energy
0: Uh, but that never
1: happened and so the land kind of sat vacant for years, and then that, and, and that's when, when I came into the picture and said, hmm, what's all this big land doing down here that nobody seems to um, own, and could we turn that into a nature preserve?
0: And so it was just all the, all the farmers uh, left, they got, they got bought out, they moved to Florida. Um, yeah, their
1: homes were... No, they didn't move to Florida. They moved about a quarter mile down the road and kept farming. But their houses were all bulldozed, uh-huh. and a lot of them... Had been um, farming there for so long that they always harbored the hopes of moving back to that land.
0: Oh, so they? Oh, but I was hoping the, um, so, they, so they they started the project and then it, it died off.
1: Yeah, the, the um, utility company bought up all the acreage, but then their plans changed and they never did flood the land, so they never used the land for what they, their
0: they intended. They got a, they got around to bulldozing the houses, but but not, Yep, they not did.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the farm families continued to lease the land that they had owned so they continued to farm the land at a certain level Uh through these um, short-term leases but in the end um, some of this land is natural habitat which is home to rare and endangered dune species right on the coast and some of it's forest Um, but some of it is farmland and when we um, bought the land see the story has a happy ending i'm not going to give away all the twists and turns but it, it is a good news environmental story And at the the end of it, we wanted to not just have a park where people can walk and enjoy nature, but to have this be a landscape-level project that takes economic considerations into the picture too and to include and to show how um, farming can work together with um, habitat um, protection. So we, we made sure that one of our goals was to have part of this land continue in farming, and we offered the land to many of the local farmers who'd stayed in the area, and some of them, or their grandkids or their children, bought Uh back the land 40 years later, and now are farming it again.
0: What percentage of the uh, 6,000 has has gone back to farming, do you think?
1: Um, It's about um, a third of it that's farming, and it's the farming up here that's most successful... Because um, up here the soil isn't necessarily the greatest. You live in Iowa, you know, lots of yeah, great got, corn great is probably soil. as high as the elephant's eye, right? Um, but we don't grow corn up here. It grows about as tall as our ankles, and then it stops. <laughs> so, but what we grow up here well is um, trees, Christmas trees, and um, cherry orchards, and vineyards, and apple orchards. So a lot of um, tree farming, and tree farming is is super compatible with uh, a lot of natural habitat
0: well, protection. Yeah. and I think a, a lot of farmers I mean my, my grandparents farmed uh, in North Dakota and I don't think I ever met a person more attached to a piece of land than my than my grandfather was I mean I, I would I would watch him walk out. To, uh, to one of his fields in the spring and, 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 and pick up a hunk of dirt and smell it and, and then spend three hours telling me stories about how his, his, grandf- his father and grandfather um, had, 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 had farmed that land, I mean broke the sod for the first time. And, and that deep, deep attachment, it must have been so hard for those families to, to leave that land and then the opportunity to come back is amazing
1: yeah and so they're coming back as part of a conservation landscape it's slightly different but they um, they can continue to farm and they own the land but there's a conservation restriction that they can't build a house or a buildings back on it they mm-hmm. can build they can have some infrastructure for the farming so it's it it meets both goals and they already now they have their houses nearby um, already so this is additional acreage right near where they live
0: yeah so what what's the process on writing a book like this that was the was the whole research process the, all of that any different than than uh it's okay not to share and it's okay to go up the slide or is it just basically the same process different topic
1: there was a lot more st- well, storytelling in this one and a lot more a lot more interviews i did probably 75 in-depth two-hour interviews with people um you know, some of the farmers, some um, people that I worked with, uh, bakers, innkeepers, um, all sorts of folks. I mean, the project involved um, the, the governor of our state. It involved um, local, um, as they say, uh, the local baker who used to bring by bread just to help support the project. So all sorts of people were involved, and I did a lot of interviews, as heavy on interviews to help tell the story, partly because my memory seems to have a lot of holes in it, and so I had to go back and ask other people, now, what, what happened that day? Or I'd go back and consult old um, diaries and letters and newspaper reports. And so there was a lot of archival digging as well, but a lot of memory digging.
0: Well, I, I think it's, people it's, can f- for, forgive uh, you needing to do all that digging uh, if, if you were born at the time the story was starting. So I, mean,
1: I know, you can't expect to remember that stuff not, the first couple that, weeks of your a, life. <laughs> not, a lot of, not
0: a lot of memories from the six-month-old Heather.
1: But one of my favorite stories from the book is, um, it, it, there is there's a period of, uh, in the story where we had to raise millions and millions of dollars really fast. And as one of my early readers said, I think you're the only one who could make fundraising seem like an action thriller. <laughs> But there was so much at stake, you know, the the land, as you say, people have deep connections to the land. And so with so much at stake with the land, it was action-packed thrilling at that moment. And one of my favorite stories from that time is how the president of um, one of our country's large foundations, the C.S. Mott Foundation, they're based in Michigan. And we were able to get the president of the Mott Foundation to come out and hike along the beach there and look up at this huge towering dune. It's more than 300 feet high, oh, and it's geez. just enormous, and there's there's nobody on the beach. It's completely empty. Um, so he's walking along the beach, and he, he'd he never been there before, but he fell in love again with it. And I think I say again, even though he's never been there before, because He grew up out on the East Coast, and um, there was a a beach at Cape Cod that he used to play in as a child. Mm -hmm. And when he went back years later, he looked for that same beach where he'd enjoyed all his childhood playtime, and it had been completely obliterated. It was all developed and paved Mm -hmm. over. And so now, as an adult coming back and walking the Arcadia Dunes beach, he... He, he drew on that, you know, ch- childhood memory of this connection to the the dunes and the coast and the land, and and that the love of his childhood dune propelled him to. Um, their foundation gave huge support, um, you know, big gifts of money to help save this dune, and I think that's what's so important for all of us as parents and educators and people who care about kids and and, and the world, is that if you get kids outside, you know balancing on a log or getting their feet wet oh, and getting dirty maybe in a puddle or um, outside in a park, that kind of love, even if it's your your backyard, they might have fond memories of their grandmother's backyard and a certain tree, but those memories are really deep and that love is really strong and it can go all kinds of places when they grow up, that, that connection to the land. So that's one thing I love about the stories in this book and and stories that everybody has connections in their childhood
0: well yeah yeah those uh, i i'm 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 really interested in hearing how how are families using this land now that it's been it's been saved have you have have, have you been up there with your boys have you have you seen families oh yeah we go up
1: there and well what you know different parts of it so the, the farmland part is um is private property, so you can go on as a guest with the farmers, but basically it's their land for their families. But the rest of it, which is nearly 4,000 acres, um, there's parts that we've added 15 to 16 miles of sustainable hiking trails that you can also cross-country ski or mountain bike and different things there. So there's there's miles and miles of trails, and there's a lot of kids and families out there.
0: Is is the is the park is it open to uh, to motor vehicles the ATVs and the snowmobiles or have you closed it off to that kind of stuff?
1: Well, it depends which part of it you're talking okay. about. Yeah. yeah, because I know and some. P- Go ahead. Oh, I,
0: just some some parks. I know the, uh, those those machines just kind of tear up uh, the the four wheelers especially just kind of tear up the landscape and you see a lot of erosion and stuff and so I was. I was just wondering.
1: Yeah, it. you have to, you have, uh, we have a lot of snow up here. Yeah. So in some places when there's tons of snow, uh, snowmobiles don't do any damage, but in, yeah. in some cases they, they can still. Um, and on the the dunes, uh, a lot of people haven't been to the Great Lakes and they can't imagine that when you're standing on the lake shore, that um, it would take hours and hours to cross by motorized boat to the mm-hmm. other side and that these are huge ocean-like creatures. So... Um, some of the, the the coastal ecosystems and the critical dunes on the Great Lakes are, are really endangered habitats. And there's places that people can run down the dunes and just have that hair-flying, wonderful kid experience of, of just uh, causing a little erosion for the sake of joy. Uh-huh. But there's also parts where you need to... Um, keep people off so that the endangered species can thrive so it's a real mix
0: are there any any cute endangered species that this park is protected or uh, i mean i'm thinking uh, about i'm thinking about, you know I'm thinking what, about they're for the movie i was thinking about for, yeah, the for the movie
1: yeah we don't have any uh you know pandas or polar bears or really fuzzy cute guys like that any, any no, chance no, there's a unicorn the, oh i should look for the unicorn
0: <laughs> what kind of ugly animals did they preserve
1: well, mostly um dune type habitats have pretty drab and dull looking plants and animals that are very specific to that habitat because uh, they don't it's a harsh environment for them to live in. So there's there's a plant called the pitcher's thistle, which is sort of silvery leafed. Um, it can be quite interesting, um, shapes and all. But it I don't think anyone would, would put it in a well, they're not allowed to put it in a bouquet, but <laughs> it's not the most gorgeous, um, a flower arrangement, but it's um, it lives on, on the dunes, and there's this even, little tiny sand-colored locust that um, doesn't live anywhere else also. It's about as big as your thumbnail, and it's the color of sand, so
0: yeah. a few other
1: things like that.
0: I'm sure they're delightful. No wolves.
1: No wolves, uh, no.
0: Okay, I thought a wolf would be nice. Oh, bears and things. Oh, okay, there we go, there we go. A, a cute bear, you saving a family of cute bears. I see that happening in the movies. I movie. know,
1: well, th- th- I don't think they actually den on the property, but they uh, would walk
0: through it. Yeah, they'll, maybe, well, now that it's saved, maybe they'll start moving in, extend, extend that. Cute porcupines. Oh, you can't go wrong with a porcupine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, what, what else should we know?
1: Um, I think that for people who need a dose of inspiration and hope, um no matter what angle you're coming at that from, I think this is a good read for that because it talks about the subtitle is about community and how um how people banded together to do something bigger than they were. so if you if you need inspiration about making positive change in the world, if you need um, inspiration about how you come together as a community and get to know the neighbors and cross some of the class divisions that you haven't crossed in a while, um, this project did it, and I think that can help inspire other people. If you need inspiration for good news about the environment, this is a good one for that. I think we all need a dose of hope in our lives because sometimes all the troubles of the world just get us down. So this, it has a happy ending, and it's got some really good both people, relationships, and um, natural relationships. So if you need a good dose of hope and inspiration and uh, how the little guy can come through triumphant in the end, I recommend this read.
0: Do uh, Did you know it was going to be a happy happy ending when you got started on the on the whole adventure?
1: Well, writing the book, I did, because well, no, I, mean... <laughs> I just lived through it. No, um, we at times... There were a lot of near misses, and there were times when the project was completely doomed. Um, and one of the things that saved us was a, um, an, an Enron-type scandal that hit the power company.
0: Dun-dun-dun. Um,
1: there was a lot of round-trip trading, and people suddenly had to resign and things. So sometimes a stroke of luck can really help as well.
0: And And so jumping into this, it was kind of a scary thing to do, but a thing you decided to do anyway— And with a little bit of, well, a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck, it turned out all right.
1: Yeah, I think if we'd known just how impossible it was to start, we wouldn't have started. But that's why I, I love this quote. It's attributed to Goethe, which is, begin it. Boldness has power, magic, and genius in it. So whatever you do. Just
0: begin it. Yeah, people, I, I talk about this on, on, on this podcast that's come up and on, on uh, the childcare Bar and Grill. One of, the, one of the hard things that we've got to get better at doing is the scary thing. Um, and putting ourselves out there and taking those challenges often has the payoffs that Heather talks about in this book. And so if you're looking for inspiration on uh, how to do your scary thing, give this book a read.
1: Yeah. And I think that scary thing is is important because even if you don't have all the skills or networks or contacts or money or whatever it is you need to pull off your big, huge, passionate thing that you're kind of scared of starting, once you start and get at least one other ally with you, other people will see your passion and see your vision and, and kind of start contributing their efforts and skills. So, I think if you have the right outlook and the right passion behind it, enough people will come around and provide what, what you yourself don't have and make it a bigger community effort.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. So how do where do people find the book?
1: Well, they can find it um most regular places that you find books, you know, online book orderings like Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um you can also find it on my website, um Heathershoemaker.com. You can find it directly from the publisher, which is Wayne State University Press. Um, if you live outside of the Great Lakes, you might not find it just on your shelf at your local bookstore, but it's a, a regular old book that they can order in. So,
0: yeah, and if you if you're having a if if you if you if you don't want to go all that work, uh, when you when we post this episode, post in the comments, and Jeff will look up a link and and, and post it for you, um, because we're a full service podcast that kind of way. Absolutely. Hey, Heather, before we wrap up, I got to tell you, uh, we got back from Australia and there was a there was an envelope full of. Uh, I go up the slide uh, uh, buttons there. Thank you. I appreciate that. Grandbaby wore one around for, for days and uh, was very proud and, and can't wait till her her baby brother gets big enough that he he can actually earn one because she didn't think he should get one until he could actually go up a slide. So. Uh, oh uh, yes, got, earn the right yeah. to
1: wear the button. Yeah, we I got I love we,
0: it. we got one in reserve for him. So hopefully sometime the next year he'll he'll start earning that. So I appreciate that. Or maybe that. to go
1: up a dune. because yeah. Dunes are very hard to climb. Too, if you're talking about a challenge and
0: fun to slide down,
1: <laughs> they are fun <laughs> to slide down. Although people who aren't used to this uh, habitat up here, sometimes they go down it and then they get stuck and they have to call 911 and it's a very expensive rescue. Oh. So start with the slides and work your way <laughs> work your up your way to up the to, dunes.
0: Work your way up <laughs> the dunes. You can't. We can't end with a better better piece of advice than that. This has been Renegade Rules for Jeff Johnson and Heather Shoemaker. Glad you joined us. Back soon with another episode. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye thanks for listening we'll be back next week with another episode music by Alexander Schumacher this has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production oh